Okay, we'd like to welcome you to our weekly current event in Bible study for December 23rd, 2007. And today we'll start out part one, and I don't know if this will go into part two, possibly. Uh, it's entitled, Overcoming, Protection, Meekness, Answered Prayer, Comfort, Faith, Justification, and Fear of the Lord. So this is essentially just going to be Bible verses we're going to go through. And um, I put this together kind of in response to some of the people that have emailed me in regard to various and certain issues. And a lot of these issues are interrelated, and you can't just put, you can't just take scripture, one scripture alone, and put that in a box. It needs to be compared in light of all scripture. And um, this is called rightly dividing the word of truth, and studying to show yourself approved unto God, and searching the scriptures out. So these are some scriptures that, that tend to relate to one another, and can shed some light on one another. And um, hopefully this will also give us some scriptural balance in regard to these verses. So if we start in Zephaniah, chapter 2, 1 through 3. Zephaniah 2, verses 1 through 3. And I'll make this available on the, on the internet in the PDF if you're listening to this. You don't have to you just be able to um, actually download the PDF or, or click on it and just print it out and you can follow along. That would be the easiest way. Uh, it says in Zephaniah 2, 1-3, Gather yourselves together, yea, gather yourselves together, O nation not desired. Before the decree bring forth, before the day pay it pass as the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of our Lord's anger come upon you. Now this is what America is facing. Okay, we're, we're on the cusp of this, and unless the Lord uh, wasn't very long-suffering, this would have already happened. And then it says, Seek ye the Lord, who is he addressing this to? All ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment, seek righteousness, seek meekness, it may, it may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Well, this is something I think we all would like. <laughs> we want to be hit, especially in the day of the Lord's anger. Um, you know, with, with particularly America, with this country, and, and other places as well. But the, the shedding of innocent blood through uh, the abortion industry, um, the, the sodomy that, that's becoming um, so prevalent through the, through the gay communities and all the legislation that they're passing with the hate crime bill. So, so many abominations going on, and these things defile the land. And, um, you know, judgment in this type of case has to happen. It's just a matter of time, essentially. So this Bible verse talks about seeking the Lord, all ye meek of the earth. Now, meek doesn't mean weak. Okay? Uh... Meek essentially is in conjunction with a humble or a contrite spirit. You, these words are always used together in the Bible. And, and Gail Ripplinger's wrote a whole book on called The Language of the King James Bible. Gail Ripplinger. Um, it's called The Language of the King James Bible. And it tells you how the King James Bible has its own built-in Bible dictionary in it. And many, many times, if you want a word defined in the Bible that word will be used in conjunction with another word that will have a va basically the same meaning. And I don't want to go too far in down that rabbit trail, but suffice it to say, if you get that book, it will explain it for you. And this is something I use a lot, and, and it's like, you'll always have it in the back of your mind in regard to defining different words. 
Um, I also recommend getting a Webster's 1828 dictionary, which defines the words as they were written, um, as far as the translation of the King James that you have. Okay, they're, they're more accurately defined for that time period, whereas a dictionary today is a lot of times missing uh, many of those elements because it's modern day. Uh, Dr. D.A. Waite also has a Bible called the Defined King James Bible, which goes through, and if there's an archaic word listed on a particular page, it has the definition on that page. It's not changing the Word of God, it's just giving you the definition of maybe an archaic word that's not used as much. And that's Dr. D.A. Waite, W-A-I-T-E, the Defined King James Bible. Now these are things that a lot of times people will email me, and they'll say, what about this, what about that? Well, a lot of times what you can do uh, is this is how I find it. You go up on the internet to a, to a search engine. Um, I use Yahoo. You can you know I don't like to really use Google because I've heard that there's they're all Big Brother ish, but Google is the worst as far as being Big Brother uh, as far as tracking and, the, and these types of things. Um, so I use Yahoo, go up there, and you, you will type in a keyword search on whatever phrase you're actually wanting to know about. And it's always best that if you could put a couple of these different words, like a, two words or three words in quotes, because you'll get a more accurate search. Okay, so that's just a little thing you can use up in the internet. So going back to this verse, uh, it says, All ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment... Now, a lot of times you'll hear people say, oh, judge not lest ye be judged. That was in total reference to hypocritical judgment. That was when you had a beam in your own eye and you were seeking to look and pick out the speck in your brothers. And even Jesus Christ says in that parable, oh, ye hypocrites. Because a hypocrite is somebody like that, that has a beam in their own eye and he's looking at the speck in their brothers. Uh, the Bible says, he who is spiritual judgeth all things. And Jesus said, judge righteous judgment. Judgment is very important to God, because if there's no judgment, then there's no judgment on sin. And if that's the case, then well, we can just do whatever we want, and sin will abound. You have to have judgment in order to keep sin in check. And this is why God always ends up coming back and ultimately judging nations and peoples and our own personal sin, because there has to be. And this is why Jesus Christ paid that sin debt for us, and that we should be so thankful for that. Because that's the only way that you're going to get your sins justified is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. So, he's saying in this verse, which have wrought his judgment, then it says to seek righteousness, which is, do you think the church is doing any of this today? <laughs> Are they seeking judgment? No, they're just letting whatever happens happen. Hey man, it's not our problem. We're making good money. We're a 501c3 corporation making good money. Well, we're non-profit. Okay, you can write it off on your taxes. You know, it's okay. Well, we've got all our worldly music in, in the churches and, and all the, the worldly programs. And, and we've got all of our licensing. And we're, we're official. We're right down the line. We're yoked up with the, with the government and the Internal Revenue Service. Yeah, it's all good. You know, they're not going to they're, they're do this. And then it says again, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Well, what if you're not doing any of this? Are you going to be hid in the day of the Lord's anger? Now, I don't even want to turn this into a salvation issue. Okay? But, let's say you are saved, but you're, you're really not doing any of this. There's going to be an element, obviously, of, of the Lord's protection that's left out of the game. 
in regard to that situation. I know there's different situations. I know the apostles all basically died a martyr's death. You could say they weren't protected, but their ministry, um, up until the time that they were put to death, essentially they were protected by the Lord. Okay, um, it was their time at that point, you know, to to die a martyr's death, which is really the highest honor that you could actually have in heaven. Now, if we go further, Isaiah 66 verse one says, "Thus saith the Lord: The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me?" And where is the place of my rest? For all these things have mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look. So, this is the man to whom the Lord will look. Even him that is of a poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Now, we could say, a poor and con- what is what is a poor spirit? Well, what does a contrite spirit mean? Essentially a meek, humble spirit. Okay, and if you're if you're wondering what a poor spirit would be, it would be in the same thing. Remember what we just talked about with the self-defining words of the King James Bible, that Gail Ripplinger wrote a whole book on this. So this is the person to whom the Lord will look to, and one that trembles at His word. Well, that implies fear of God, which is something that's never preached in the churches, modern-day churches today. Trembling at His word, um, and being of a when when you tremble at God's word, the the main byproduct that that will produce is a poor and a contrite and a humble and a meek spirit before God. Because if you're trembling at His Word and you have the fear of the Lord, that will take care of the other. That's why I've always emphasized praying for the fear of the Lord. If you don't have it, pray for it. Because um, by praying for it, it will take care of so many other things in our Christian walk. Fear of the Lord, if you're operating in that, it just, like I said, takes care of a lot of different things. So, if we go further, Isaiah 66, then verse 3. Yea, they have chosen their own ways. Now remember, he just said, even to him that is of a poor and contrite spirit and trembleth at my word, that's the man the Lord's going to look to, or the woman the Lord will look to. But then the Lord contrasts this in verse 3 by saying, Yea, they have chosen their own ways. And their soul delighteth in their abominations. Well, this sounds like the modern day church, or essentially modern day America or the modern day world. They chose their own ways. What is that? That's basically self-centeredness, which is really the root of almost every sin that that can happen. And then it says, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. And then the Lord says something interesting. He says, I will... I also will choose their delusions. See, it gets to a point where the Lord starts to choose their delusions. Now, the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that God is going to be the one that sends the strong delusion that they will believe a lie, that they might all be damned who receive not the love of the truth. It says God's going to send it, particularly in the end times, because Second Thessalonians chapter two is in regard to the end times that we're we're living in and we're moving into more every day. Here it says, "I will choose their delusions." Here's another confirmation in Scripture that God ultimately chooses these people's delusions. He lets them happen, yes, but it's God's doing. And then it says, and I will bring their fears upon them. 
So first he's going to choose their delusions, then he's going to bring their, their own fears upon them, because when I called, none did answer. When I spake, they did not hear. But they did evil before mine eyes. So, when God called these people, they didn't answer. They didn't want to answer the call of God. Period. When I spake, they did not hear. But they did evil before mine eyes, and chose that in which I delighted not. Hear the word of the Lord, ye that trembleth at his word. Okay, so now this is coming back to God wants the people that are trembling at his word to know this. Okay, and what he wants them to know is continue where it says, Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified, but he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. Does this kind of sound Now, if you've been listening to these sermons, and maybe people like Pastor Slattery, or, or Pastor Weaver, or, or, or some other uh, good uh, speakers up on Sermons Audio, if you've been listening to them, and you've taken a stance to other lukewarm pseudo-Christians, this is a verse that applies to you. And if you tremble at his word. By saying, your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake. I get emails all the time of people that, that all around, particularly, um, you know, uh, a lot of them are in the United States and Canada and these types of places, and they've tried to take stances on these types of issues with people that they know, and they've been ostracized. They've been basically kicked out. They've, they've been disfellowshipped. Which, in reality, you know what's, what that is? They're doing you a favor, if that happened. Because you don't want to... Be yoked up with that. If you're yoked up with that, if you're trying, if you're in some type of lukewarm church, trying to change that lukewarm church from the inside out, trust me, I've been there, I've tried it, it does not work. Well, how do you know it doesn't work? Because the Bible, the Bible says in, in um, Psalm 11 verse 3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The problem is, with the modern day, incorporated 501c3, non-King James preaching, worldly church, is that the foundation's been destroyed. You'd have to knock down everything and start over again, you know, essentially to have the hope. And I'm not t making a blanket statement about every single church on the face of the planet. I'm just saying, for the most part, in these types of churches, uh, they've chosen their own way, they've delighted in their own delusions, God's even chose their own delusions. He's sending the strong delusion. And these are the brethren that will hate you and that will cast you out for the Lord's sake. And then it says, let the Lord be glorified, but he shall appear to your joy and they shall be ashamed. And this is why another reason why you can read the Bible and you can look at all these churches where you know you have got your mega churches with Smiley Joe Olstein and these types of guys and Rick Warren and Bill Hybels and these types of people and all these masses of people thinking that they're doing God's service, going to these things, yet they're totally delusional. And, and they don't have any concept or grasp of the truth or of judgment or anything. But God said, narrow is the way which leadeth to life eternal, and few there be that find it. If, 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 if it were the case where few there be that find it, how could we have all these people going to these megachurches, really doing the devil's work? Or making the devil very happy at bare minimum. And and these people be so delusional. Well, narrow the way. Narrow is the way. Is it, now, don't let yourself also think at the same time and let pride well up in regard to that issue. 
Okay, because that's another thing you have to really guard against. So if we go further, in Jeremiah 32, verse 26 and 27, we read, Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? So people will come to me and they'll, they'll get depressed and they'll be this and that about the, the state of the church. And, and number one, what I try to emphasize is that don't be de- depressed, rejoice. This is total confirmation of scripture, isn't it? I mean, we got all these Bible verses, even in the New, in the New Testament, we've already mentioned some. Um, with 2 Thessalonians 2, where we know there's going to be strong delusion that's going to be said that they will believe a lie, that they might all be damned to receive not the love of the truth. We know in 1 Timothy 4.1, um, where you know it talks about, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their consciences seared with a hot iron. We know that these times are coming, um, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So, it's really, all it is is confirmation of Scripture. And this delusion has to take place prior to, and even after, the coming of the Antichrist. There has to be a strong delusion for him in order to make his appearance. Do you think he could make his appearance on an earth where the church was just strong, and and just, you know, on fire, and, and everything was right biblically, and it was making an impact on every facet of society? You think the Antichrist could make his appearance in that type of environment? Well, that's not what the Bible predicts the, the environment will be. So, it's like that thing, you know, looketh up for your redemption draweth nigh. The, the worse it gets, the closer it is to Jesus Christ coming back. So don't, so don't let these things, you know, get you down. Be, um, I, I actually take comfort in it. The, the fact that I, that I know these things and... Um, um, that the Lord's shown these to He's had the mercy to show them to me. And um, you need to feel the same way. You know, if you're, if you're operating at, at this level of, of truth. Because most people aren't. So if we go further, uh, he says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? No, there's nothing too hard for God. There's nothing. And we need to have the faith to believe that he can protect us through the coming times that we're going through. Okay, Because without faith, it is impossible to please him. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So faith is really the key to pleasing the Lord once you're saved. Okay, And faith is how you essentially get saved. For you're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should both boast. So, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So, these are, the, faith is the basis upon which we get saved, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. So, we just need to have faith that the Lord is the God of all flesh, and that there is nothing too hard for Him. Okay? He created the universe, the stars, everything, framed the sky with these things, you know. No, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. But we pray in accordance with the Lord's will. Let thy will be done, as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, not my will, but thine be done, Lord. And then Jeremiah 33, 2 and 3 says, Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, and the Lord that formed it, to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Okay, we need to have the faith to believe this. 
And then Psalm 66, verse 18, though, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give a lot of balance with this Bible study, because if we have a lot of sin in our lives and these types of things, if I regard iniquity in my heart, iniquity is another, um, essentially, word for sin. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Jeremiah 17, 9. The Bible says, He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 28, verse 26. So, we got to really be on guard with our heart. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14, 12 and Proverbs 16, 25. So, we really want to be careful in regard to the heart issues. Because if what you're feeling in your heart doesn't line up with the Bible, then your heart is deceiving you. And this is the biggest thing I see with the pseudo-Christian movement out there. Oh, it feels right. Hey, I've been there. I've been in that whole Pentecostal feel-good stuff. You know, oh, it feels, it feels great and, and, um, you know, from a fleshly standpoint and uh, emotional standpoint. And that's what, they, that's what the devil loves to play on, those types of things. But remember, if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then get away from it. Because your heart is deceiving you. So if we go further, Psalm 19, verses 12 through 14. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Now we pray this a lot in our, in our prayers. From secret faults, cleanse thou me. Now this is something, this is a way that we can pray. Because the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Well, what if you don't know that iniquity is even there? What if you don't know it's there? You ever thought about that? Do you think that that could still hinder you? Even though you don't know it's there? Well, I didn't know about it. That's what I'll tell God. Well, yeah, but the, the, the servant in the Bible, in that parable, the one that, you know, was ignorant of these things, he was still punished. He was punished with fewer stripes than the one that knew full well what he was doing, but he was still punished and appointed his portion with the hypocrites. So... This isn't something that we want to lean on as an excuse. Okay? So if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But we can go to the Lord and say, Cleanse thou me from secret faults, as the psalmist asked. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Now, what would that mean? Well, kind of the same thing as a secret fault. And again, we have the King James kind of defining itself here. A presumptuous sin would be a sin that you presumed was not a sin. That's why it's called presumptuous. Because you're presuming, oh, it's not a big deal. It's not really a sin. It's, it's, it's okay. But see, your heart is deceiving you. And it's a secret fault that's within you that you don't think is even a secret fault. Now, the Lord is more than capable of pointing these things out. And this is something we just need to, um, I think, incorporate into our prayer life. Because, I mean, can you really go wrong on this? <laughs> if you incorporate this, you're probably, I mean, is, is there any way we can go wrong with this? I, I don't think so. And then it says, um, as far regarding these secret faults and presumptuous sins, let them not have dominion over me. Because if you have these in your life, there is that possibility they can have dominion, meaning they're dominating you, essentially. They can have dominion over you. Then shall I be upright. When? When these presumptuous sins and these secret faults have been cleansed. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. This is another thing that we can pray in regard to our uh, uh, the words of our mouth and the uh, meditations of our heart. So now if we go further, we're going to change a lot of gears here in this particular study. Because remember what this was titled, Overcoming, Protection, Meekness, Answered Prayer, Comfort, Faith, Justification, and Fear of the Lord. We're covering a lot of different subjects that kind of all relate. Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Okay, so, notice that these were beheaded actually for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God. Well, hold on. What if you're reading like some watered-down perversion? Do you think you're going to be willing to die for that perversion from a spiritual standpoint? I mean, hey, there's like over a hundred different translations. Which one's right? Well, I thought the Bible said God wasn't the author of confusion. That's why I stick to one version, the King James, which is from a totally different line that came up through the Textus Receptus, as opposed to the other perversions that came up through Alexander Egypt, through the Catholic manuscripts known as the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticanus, through the Revised Version of 1881. This is why I stick with the one version. I mean, that argument right there, God is not the author of confusion. Why would he put out over a hundred versions to confuse us? This is such an important issue to God that they were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. And what was the second thing? And then for the word of God. It's a pretty, pretty important issue to God, I believe, what Bible version you're reading. And the other ones, like the NIV, for instance, has 64,098 less words to be exact. That's almost 10% of the total text. I wonder who those translators were tithing these words to, their 10% tithe. Was it to God or the devil? Just as something to think about. And then it said, which had not worshipped beasts, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. Okay. And I, I get these emails from people saying that the mark of the beast is purely symbolic. It's it's not real. How are you going to buy it? When it says that they couldn't buy or sell without it, how could that be something that's symbolic? It's most likely going to be some type of, of identifying tattoo with an implantable microchip. It's probably going to be a, like a combo deal. Okay. Whereas the mark will be able to, you'll be able to identify that person as a follower of the Antichrist, and the, and the microchip will be able to store the information necessary to buy and sell. It's about the only thing that really makes sense to me. I've done two Two separate teachings on this. Okay, that you can go up there and download. <clears throat> so, um, if we go further, Revelation 20, okay, 26. Okay, this must be verse 6. Okay. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But there shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now Luke 20, 35, and 36 says, But they which shall be accounted worthy 
to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, neither can they die any more. For they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. Notice we're talking a lot about here about the resurrection. Now, and then it says to be accounted worthy. Now, again, the thing you have to have with this type of, of study is balance, because if we start looking at that too close, it turns into, well, how do I work my way into heaven? Okay? The foundation of our salvation has to be the Lord Jesus Christ, and hit us accepting that free gift that He freely offers, that we either freely reject or freely receive. Okay, That has to be the main emphasis, because it's not by works of righteousness, which we are saved, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Okay, So it's easy to take niche one verse out of the Bible and start thinking, well, I've got to work my way in heaven. That's an abomination in the sight of God. There's nothing that you could ever do in God's eyes, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, that would be anything less than a filthy rag. Okay, according to Isaiah 64, 6, for all, for we all together do fade as doth a leaf, and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. Okay, so, just keep that in mind in regard to this particular study. Revelation 20.14 And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Okay, so I think hopefully we're getting an idea what the second death is. It's actually being cast into the lake of fire. Okay. Revelation 2.11 says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Okay, now what is the second death? We already know. It's being cast into the lake of fire. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And then Revelation 21, verse 8. But the fearful and, the, and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Okay? So, these are people that they're putting into this classification. These people obviously aren't overcomers. Obviously, they were never saved. Okay? And this is, again, another thing that defines the second death. Okay, now we're going we're gonna to move through these scriptures, so if I don't define everything right away, bear with me a little bit here. So what we're kind of trying to do is build a foundation here. Revelation 3.21 says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. So this is sounds pretty conditional. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also came. This is Jesus Christ essentially saying these things. Revelation 12.11 And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved their lives not unto the death. That's how the Bible says you overcome. Particularly in the tribulation, in, in you know, of Revelation. This is what we're talking about. It's Revelation 12.11. We're talking about the tribulation. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Of course, this would be applicable to any dispensation. But, um, they overcame him, regarding Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, the blood that saves our soul, okay, and the word of their testimony. And they loved their lives not unto the death. Now, we may be all put in that exact position. 
there's a pretty good likelihood, if you're a born-again Christian living in today's day and age, that this, now, if you believe in the pre-trib rapture, you know, well, then you're going to be out of here and nothing's going to happen. Okay, according to them. Um, if you believe in the post-trib rapture, then you're going to have to go through everything. Okay, I try to really, I've brought this up with my with my email list before, and um, I've tried to stay away from this as of late, because I've never seen a subject that causes more uh, anger, division, divisiveness than that particular subject when you bring it up. You know one thing I do know about that? We're all going to know soon enough. Because when World War III starts, and Antichrist Christ most likely will arise at the end of World War III, which is the way the occultists have been predicting this for... <laughs> over a hundred years, when that all goes down, when the Antichrist comes to power and all this stuff happens, just like the book of Revelation says, you know, if there's no rapture that happens when he confirms the covenant and all this stuff, then I'll tell you what, you're going to have to start rethinking things. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Um, but, we'll see. We will, we will definitely see soon enough. So one way or another... A lot of times people will say, well, what are you? And, and I've heard the response to say, well, I'm pan-trib. And they're like, what's pan-tribulation mean? Well, it's all going to pan out in the end one way or another. Which is the truth. Okay? It's just not something I really like to focus on. I like to just be prepared for the worst. You know, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. So, if we go further, it says then... Um, Revelation 2, 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Okay, so that's what the Bible says. To him that overcometh, will I give to the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And then Revelation 2, 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, will I give to eat of the hidden manna. And give him a white stone, and the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receive it. Now remember, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. That's how you overcome. That's pretty much, for most people's, and most people's thinking, worst case scenario. Can you imagine preaching this type of, of teaching in the uh, Smiley Joe Olstein's church? Telling people that they may have to die, that they may have to actually be beheaded, and showing them how you actually have to, how you're going to actually have to overcome. Okay, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. What is what does all of this really boil down to, though? Is this something you just generate inside you that you all of a sudden I'm just going to really? It comes down to really faith. It comes down to the reborn. To your reborn spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives inside you, giving you the strength to do these things. It's not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. Okay, This is something you have to have the faith to believe in, that no matter how bad it gets, no matter what happens around you, no matter if every single other person around you forsakes you, you have the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Word of God, hopefully hidden in your heart because you've memorized certain portions of it. And that you love your not your life not under the death. I'm just being honest today. Now, I'm preaching this as much to myself as anyone. This is not a pleasant study. This is like the most severe study. But I would rather put this information out. Obviously, all we're really doing today is reading scripture. I'd rather put this type of information out um, and, and make people aware of this. So if we go further, Revelation... Um, 
226. Well, here, now let me read Revelation 217 um, further. It says, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will I give him a white stone, and in it, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth. Revelation 2.26 And he that overcometh, and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Revelation 3.5 And he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Oh, that doesn't sound real great to me. This verse isn't really a fun verse. But, let's look at the, the obvious conclusion here. It says in Revelation 3.5, and, and this is one of the, the churches that, that you know he's addressing here, And he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. White raiment is like the righteousness of the saints. Okay? And then it says, And I will not blot out of his name out of the book of life. Well, let's read this another way. And he that does not overcome shall not be clothed in white raiment, and his name will be blotted out of the book of life. Can we can we draw that obvious conclusion? If he said this here, can we can we look at it in the opposite sense and say, well, once saved, always saved, and this type of thing. Well, you know what? I think there's certain things that you can do <laughs> that uh, you're going to have a really hard time scripturally proving. What about in the end of the Bible where it talks about that that he that takes out of the word the the uh, words of the book of this. Uh, prophecy in regarding to uh, the Bible and Revelation, I will blot his name out of the book of life. What do you do with that verse? Okay, now listen, this isn't my rule book. Okay? I'm just pointing out things in Scripture that are there that should get us thinking. Okay? If nothing else. It says, I will not blot out his name out of the book of life if he overcomes. Do you think that being an overcomer is something that you should be praying for? In the Lord's eyes? Now again, it's not you doing it. It's the Holy Spirit giving you the strength and whatever else is needed in order to actually be an overcomer. But it's also about you having the faith to believe that. Okay? That no matter what happens, it's going to come down to a matter of are you going to have the faith? Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. So much of this is going to ultimately end up hinging upon this. Okay, so I don't want you to get too crazy or whatever right now looking at this. Because these are, these are pretty negative verses if you just look at these verses by themselves and just stop the Bible study. Okay, so let's just bear, like I said, bear with me. Uh, I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Revelation 3.12 Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall no more go out, and I will write upon his name, write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Now there's a lot of also blessings connected with being an overcomer, as you can see. Heavenly blessings, particularly. Revelation 3.21 To him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as even as I over, also overcame, and I am set down with my Father in his throne. Revelation 21.7 He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. 1 John 5.1-5 through 5, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Okay? 
And every one that loveth him, that begetteth, that begat, loveth him also, that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and we keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Okay, now, again, whatsoever is born of God, when we become born-again Christians and the Holy Spirit dwells and lives inside us and we have a reborn spirit, we are as a new creature. Behold, all things become new. Okay, so again, it's about the Holy Spirit. It's about having that faith. It's not so much about ourselves. Remember, when John the Baptist was uh, talking and he says, I must decrease and he must increase. That's a really important verse in the Bible. Okay, because it's really not a matter of us and all of our whatever efforts and, and try to in, in, in order to be a better person in these types of things. It's about what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you. So if we read this again, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, so... That is the absolute foundational bedrock prerequisite. Believing that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God. The problem is a lot of people say they do believe that. But the problem we're going to see very shortly is when things start getting nasty, we're going to see that they really didn't believe that. Because they're, they're going to start um, believing... Well, they're already believing so many lies as it is, that, you know, if they're, particularly if they're in the lukewarm and modern apostate church, they're believing a lot of lies, as it is, and they're going to be deceived. And this deception, they're going to believe and choose that over the Word of God. They're going to believe and choose that over the Jesus Christ of the Bible. They're going to be presented essentially another Jesus, and that's the one they're going to believe, and that's the one that they're going to follow, most likely. So, just to say that right now that you believe it that Jesus is the Son of God, well then you better believe His Word. And you better follow His Word. Because that's how you're ultimately going to prove that. Okay? And then it says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Okay, now a lot of people will interpret this as saying, Oh, okay, we've got to keep the Ten Commandments. Yeah, well, the Ten Commandments are great and everything. But we've done a whole study on the Sabbath versus Sunday, and a lot of people go so far as to say that that one commandment, particularly the Sabbath versus Sunday, is the main, main reason judgment's coming upon America. I've heard people say this. They are so bound up in the Sabbath versus Sunday issue that everything else is ignored and looked... Okay, if we're going to go that route, then what about all the other Levitical laws? Ways that men have to keep their beards trimmed. How, how you can't combine two types of clothing... All these different things you have to do in regard... And, and Are we going to go out and start stoning people when, when they start committing different sins like they did in the Old Testament? I mean, where, where does that end? Give me a break! Oh, but, but they'll ignore all that just to, just to go after that Sabbath issue and they're better. Because that's what that issue does. It builds up pride. Okay, so now again, with this teaching, please bear with me... It, um, one thing that's very, very, very important to emphasize here that is really foundational to this teaching is when it says, Whosoever, Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, if you are truly a born-again, saved 
Christian, then you are going to have the ability and you will overcome because the Holy Spirit does live inside you and you are going to be an overcomer. That's going to all be proven out. Okay, the wheat and the tares and these types of things, when they're everything that can be shaken, will be shaken. A lot of people profess maybe that, but we'll, in the days and times coming, we're going to see actually who possesses that. But if the Holy Spirit genuinely lives inside you, you have everything that you need to overcome. You do. You have everything that you need. I also recommend, obviously, highly, you know, all the other things that go along with the Christian life. Okay, I mean. Prayer, reading the Word of God, and these types of things, living a holy life. Okay, but the Holy Spirit that lives inside you is perfectly capable of imparting to you the ability to deal with whatever we have coming down the road. Okay, so that's what you need to put your hope in and your faith in, which really boils back to the Word of God, to Jesus Christ, knowing that the Holy Spirit lives inside you. Okay, so this is something you really want to have the right mindset on regarding the times that we're moving into. Because if I just preached on a few of these verses and took them out of context, you could leave and you could go away from this Bible study really, really downtrodden and discouraged. But remember, it's not about you. It's about what is Jesus Christ going to do through you, via the Holy Spirit. That's what it's really about. I must decrease and He must increase. Crucifying yourself. Crucified with Christ, according to Galatians 2.20. And that I do not live, but Christ liveth within me. Okay, so these are the things that we need to keep our focus on when times get really nasty. Really what it ends up doing is taking a lot of pressure off you, the human being that you are. Okay, because you're putting it on the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I can't do it. I can't do this apart from you. I mean, imagine if you're going to get your head chopped off. Or whatever. Just think of the worst possible case scenario. And think, there's no way in my flesh I can do that. No way. I can, I can. Well, you're right. There's not. But through Jesus Christ, I can do all things through Christ, Christ which strengthened me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So just remember that. Um, here's another good verse. John 16, 33. These things, and then Jesus Christ saying, These things have I spoken unto you that ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This is what Jesus Christ said. Okay, I have, Jesus Christ already overcame the world. And we're his kids. And the Holy Spirit lives inside us. He's already overcome the world. We're on the winning team. Okay, so that's ultimately something we need to always keep in the back of our head. No matter what we have to go through, we are on the winning team. Okay, it says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And then Romans 12.21, it says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. This is pretty tough to do in today's day and age. This is really tough to do. I got, I got a, a nice, uh, lovely um, little comment yesterday sent to me. Now, I've been called everything on, on these comment boards. Uh, most, the vast majority of the feedback that I get, 95% is all positive. Okay, but I got about 5% and it's vehemently nasty stuff. And uh, this guy emailed me, and um, I must have really stepped on his toes, uh, regarding the Zeitgeist movie rebuttal that I did. And um, a guy named Rob Darst, and he says, You are hoping to convince the world of the fraud of the Zeitgeist with the trashing of the Catholic Church. 
You are a typical hillbilly Baptist. Now, I've never been called a hillbilly. That was pretty interesting. Um, so he says, you're a typical hillbilly Baptist. You probably have snakes in your church to prove your faith. Well, actually, that's a big negative on that one. We don't have any snakes here. I can put other people on the microphone if you want me to get on there and you know verify this facts. Um, no, we never had any snake handling services here. And then it says, you make me sick. May you burn in hell with the Muslims. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing because the place that this man is appointed, as a Catholic, obviously, and the place that he wants me to go and burn in hell with the Muslims, he's going to be burning right beside him. Unless he gets saved. Unless he repents of, of, of this, you know, wickedness. But it's real easy to read a, uh, a uh, thing like that, and it's, it's pretty tough to read that, and... Overcome this evil with good. <laughs> it's not always as easy as it is, you know. It, it, the, the Bible will say it, but it doesn't mean it's always easy to do it. Okay? But we're not to overcome, we're not to be overcome of evil, but to overcome evil with good. Now, let's go with that a little bit further. Okay, now, Remember when it said in the, in the last verse, we said, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. And, the, and now, people then use that as a justification to go back into the Old Testament Jewish Levitical law, and become Christian Zionists, and go into the Messianic Jewish movement, and the Hebrew Roots movement, and say, Oh, they're better than us, they're more spiritual, we need to go down, even though they rejected the Son of God, Jews. Okay, now I understand there's a time in the, in the near future when... Uh, one-third of them are not going to reject the Son of God. And there's going to be, you know, 144,000 male Jewish versions going around the world preaching the Word of God, essentially, according to, to Revelation, and these types of things. Okay, but that hasn't happened yet. And um, this verse, and a lot of verses that people take out of context, is their green light to go back in and get bound up in the law, and get all proud, look at me, look what I'm doing, I'm celebrating the Sabbath, I'm celebrating the feasts, I'm calling Jesus by his real name, I'm better than you, and you're not at my level, I pray in tongues, I do this, I work in the gift of prophecy, and all these other things that go on, that essentially encompass so much false religion. Now, I'm not saying that somebody that got a word from God, that couldn't be true. The problem I see in the Pentecostal movement is that what they are saying doesn't come to pass. Therefore, we know they're a false prophet according to Deuteronomy 18. This is one of the main reasons I came out of the Pentecostal movement. I just thought about this the other day. You know, I was in this thing, and really the first thing that the Lord showed me was the King James Bible issue. That was what got my eyes open. And I mean that from a spiritual sense. When I yielded to the King James issue, my eyes became open and I started looking around the Pentecostal church. And it wasn't my goal. It wasn't my goal to come out of the Pentecostal movement. I just thought, well, I'm in the most biblically correct movement. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading the King James Bible here. I've, I've seen just enormous amount of proof that this is the Word of God. And, um, but the byproduct of that, the first byproduct, after that happened, was the fact that I started looking around the Pentecostal church and my eyes all of a sudden became open. I said, you know, I started going to my pastors. I'm like, you know, even if tongues are biblical and even if this is biblical and that is biblical, we're not doing it the right way. Even in an NIV, we're not doing it the right way. Oh, Brother Johnson, you know, let go and let God, you know, don't, don't let the devil throw you a curveball. That was what the head pastor told me as I walked out of his church 
and the last time I got into a debate with any of them. He said, shook my hand, he says, don't let the devil throw you a curveball. And I looked him right back in the eye and says, don't worry, I won't. And this is a guy that went on to, I believe, um, he had an affair in the church after I left with a, uh, I don't know, she was a teenager or something. The, the music minister and him. This, and this is a big church. This is a big church. There are four, four or five thousand members or something. I mean, hyper-Pentecostal. And, you know, this is the same guy that that happened to. Now, I'm not happy that happened. I'm just saying that, you know, he went off into that. And, and um, uh, I just praise the Lord that he brought me out of that. But the King James Bible issue was one of the main things that opened my eyes. And that's why I always emphasize it. That's why I always come back to it. That's why I always defend it. I've, I've been defending it, you know, in the last two weeks to this um, Lutheran that, you know, he's got more degrees than a thermometer behind his name. You know, he's coming after me. And the thing about it is, is, is if you come after me on a particular issue, I may not be the absolute be-all, know-all expert on every single issue. But I've got a network of people, and usually in my network, I've got some people that are absolute, total, genius experts on a given issue, and I can go to them. And that's exactly what I did, and he didn't have an answer for what I came back to him with. Actually, it wasn't me, it was Pastor D.A. Wade. <laughs> so, he was outgunned. And this is the thing. We've got to be able to defend what we say we believe. Whether it's the King James Bible, whether it's some um, particular you know, doctrine or something that we're... We have to be able to defend it. If it's the 501c3 church issue, you have to be able to defend it. It's, I don't think it's enough to say, well, I just believe it, and, and, and then when somebody comes to you, they pick you apart because you can't defend it. What's your faith of that defense based on? Is it based on factual knowledge and, and something that you can prove and verify, or is it based on something that you just had this feeling about? Because if it's just based on a feeling, that's really not good enough. Um, you need to be able to verify these things. Be as the Bereans, which were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and search these things out daily to see that if they be so. And that's in regard to the scriptures, which is the primary thing we need to be able to defend. It's, it's good to be able to defend certain things, obviously, if you had a Jehovah Witness, or you dealt with a Mormon, or things like this. Okay? Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So, if we go further with this, um, and again, what we were talking about is, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments, you know, are not grievous. Now, Matthew seven twelve says, which this is basically known as the golden rule, okay, which is really how we should all try to live our lives. This this verse really needs to be in the back of our head, ideally twenty four seven. Okay, I know it can't be there when we're sleeping, but I'm just saying. This needs to be the way we live our lives. Matthew 7, 12. Okay? Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would, ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Okay, now... Let's look at this thing where the Messianic Jews come back and they'll say, oh, well, you've got to keep all the Old Testament Levitical law. The Bible says, if righteousness came by the law, then our faith is dead and in vain. Okay, Christ is the end of the law, it says. Okay, we've done whole studies on this, so I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail too far. But, 
when we keep his commandments, what is what is the main thing we need to keep in mind as his commandments? Okay? Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Do unto others as you would have done unto yourself, is how it's explained many times. It says, for this is the law and the prophets. That's the main thing. And to love your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, you know. This is These are the main things we need to keep in mind. If you wouldn't want it done to you, don't do it to other people. If you would like it done to you, do it to other people. This is how, if we lived our lives this way, do you, can you imagine how nice the world would be? It would be really nice. Now, does that mean I think I'd live this way 24-7? No. I fail God miserably all the time. I'll be the first to admit that. Does it give me an excuse to fail God miserably? No. No, it doesn't. We're going to battle the flesh to the day we die. That doesn't give us an excuse to sin. Should I sin that grace may, be a, may, may abound? Use not your liberty for an occasion under the flesh. You see what I'm trying to do with this study is give us balance here? Because this is a study where you can just beat somebody over the head and basically say, go sit in your corner, you're appointed to wrath, you're not going to overcome and you're going to go to hell. Because you can't do it. I could, I could do a study like that. I'm not going to do that. I refuse. Why? So I can manipulate people? Like a lot of people do? They'll use the Bible and, and just use key verses and, and, and try to scare them and manipulate them and do these things that they can't even bear themselves? That's not right. So, I love Matthew 7.12 because it simplifies a lot of things for us, doesn't it? Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Then it says in Matthew 22, verse 36 through 40, it says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, which is basically um, a confirmation of the thing we just read in Matthew 7, uh, 12, which is essentially the golden rule. And then it says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. There you go, Mr. Hebrew Roots guy. It says it right there. Right there it says it. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Well, this is probably something we should also be praying for. If, if, we're, you know, if we're not loving our neighbors ourselves, if we're not loving the Lord our God with all their heart and all their soul and with all their mind. Okay? These are things that we can pray about. Because only the Lord can give you that. It's still, it still goes back to what the Lord's going to do through you. It's not about me doing it apart from the Lord or me doing it apart from the Holy Spirit. It's not about that. Because you can't do it. Hebrews 12.24 says, And to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Ah, here's another problem Mr. Hebrew Roots guy would have. It says Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. 
and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. This is a better covenant. Oh, but the Hebrew roots, Christian Zion, Messianic Jewish people want to bring us back into this bondage. Bondage that Jesus Christ freed you from. And it's an affront to him when you try to go back to that. Particularly as a Christian who was never even called to that in the first place. Let's say a Christian non-Jew, which is what most Christians are. I mean, most Christians aren't obviously Jewish. I can understand how a Jew that had been indoctrinated in this the whole life, it would be how it would be harder to break free. But as a Christian who's never been indoctrinated into this and just wants to go in it for a show, to show everybody how spiritual they are because they feel like it makes them so spiritual. It's works. It's a works-based religion. It's an abomination in the sight of God. Okay, I think we're through about with the first hour here. Um... Let's see here how far we got to go. I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit further here and, and then break. Okay, so going further, uh, Hebrews eight six. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which is established upon better promises. Again, this is a Another confirmation that Jesus Christ was the mediator of a better covenant. That we're not to be bound up in this law. That, that the Old Testament Jews were called to. Romans 10.4 For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. What Believeth on what? Believeth on the Lord Jesus Christ. In his words. Romans 6, 15-18 What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Now, now see how we're trying to give this study balance. Okay? We're not, I'm not just going to quote some verses and then walk away from and give you a license to sin. I'm trying to give you balance here. Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether sin unto death, or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. Okay, that's the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 7, 7 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. Okay, so again, we don't want to get off in that other direction of saying, oh, the law is just evil, bless God, I can live whatever way I want to live and do whatever I want to do, and, and it's all under the blood, and, you know, we're under grace. There's other verses you need to look at here, okay, to have the balance. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Ye shall not covet. Okay, and then we read, in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 8-12, through 12, nay, ye, nay, ye do wrong, and defraud, and that your brethren, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor feminine, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, which would, you know, indicate uh, the uh, homosexuals, nor thieves, 
nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are... Now, does that mean that that you could not have a temporary... Again, does this mean we're, we're going to live in sinless perfection? Because some people could read that and say, well, yeah, but what if I lapse back into... Uh, what if I covet this car? What if that, does that mean I'm just I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God if, if I lapse back into it? It says, and such were some of you. But you're washed, but you're sanctified. What does that word sanctified mean? It means to be made holy and set apart. But you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Okay, so that's the thing that we need to keep in mind. Does this give us a license to sin? No. But understand that, you know, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, we would all fit into the, into the latter category. Okay? If our sins haven't been washed away, as it talked about here, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're still in that category that we talked about in the first part of the verse. It says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful unto me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So again, we're trying to have balance here with this study. Because I've, I've listened to some preachers that would preach on these types of verses, and you know, I come away thinking, who can do it? Who can be good enough? You know, why even bother? I've, I, th there's some preachers out there that only emphasize the negative portions of these verses. And it turns into, what does it always turn into? A works-based religion. I've got, I've got to be good enough to get into heaven. I'm telling you right now, that's dangerous stuff. Really dangerous because then it comes about, it gets into either you're going to get real full of pride and really self-deluded because nobody can, can live a righteous enough life to get into heaven apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't do it. Or you're just going to throw up your hands and give up and walk away. Um, I've been there. And, and I know how depressing that can be, listening to that type of sermon. So again, let's have some balance. Okay, Romans 3... 26 through 31. Quote, To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is the boasting then? It is excluded. But what, by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Wow, now this is a really super, super important verse. Don't you think? Doesn't this kind of tie together what we've just been talking about here? Let's just read this again. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that he might be just, and a justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what, by what law? By what law? Or of works? Nay. So we're not justified, in other words, by the law or by works. That's the point here. We're justified, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. What does a Hebrew Ruth person do about this verse? You know what a lot of them are starting to do? They're basically just starting, number one, pretty much throughout most of the New Testament, other than maybe the Gospels. They're starting to call, I've, there's a big movement to call Paul the usurper, saying that all the books that Paul wrote don't apply at all. They're just, they're no good. 
he was just he was just some whatever guy that came in and, and uh, weaseled in there. There's a there's a huge movement in um, certain sects of um, pseudo Christianity to promote this this fact. Uh, the women the women that are really the um, women's livers and the preachers wanting the wanting to be the women that wear the pants and stuff like that in an unbiblical way. A lot of them feel this way. A lot of them that have their own little cults up on the internet, they don't like Paul. They hate him. They degrade him. Because he's the guy that preached mostly on how women should behave themselves in society and in the churches and to their husband. These types of things. Okay, I'm not being chauvinistic here, I'm just talking about the Bible. So, they, they can't stand him. I, I deal with this usually at least once a month on that, that one issue at this point. So, if we go further, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also, the, also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. So you've got to get saved the same way, essentially. It's through faith, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. Still gotta, there's, there's no get-out-of-jail-free card pass, like uh, John Hagee says about the Jews. You know That they, they have what they call ethnic, he believes in what they call ethnic salvation. Meaning just because of the Jewish blood coursing through their veins, they're basically getting to heaven. Then it says, do we make void the law through faith? Now again, let's have balance. God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Okay. Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 8 reads, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand the whole worlds were framed by the word of God. I'm going to go ahead and stop here so uh, you can get this on a CD teaching. And we're going to go to part two now.